Mike McFadden leads the indie rock band Animal Years, born and raised in the Baltimore area where he began writing songs that garnered local airplay on the Baltimore NPR station. He then moved to Brooklyn, New York, where he assembled the band Animal Years and began generating a rabid local following at the vibrant Brooklyn music scene based on his anthemic fist-pumping songs. They began to tour the country, where their song Caroline began garnering a huge amount of attention on Spotify. They are releasing an album this year entitled This is an Album Called Animal Years, and Mike joins us to discuss Caroline and other songs from the Animal Years repertoire. Welcome to Backstory Song. I am so thrilled to have Mike McFadden on our show today. Welcome, Mike. What's up, Doug? Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is your host, Doug Burke, and we're bringing you one of the hottest bands from the Brooklyn music scene. And you guys have a brand new album coming out, which on June 18th of 2021, called This Is an Album Called Animal Years. And that is by Animal Years, in case you didn't know. There's a lot of animal years in there. That is correct. Yeah, that, I know, it's a mouthful. I I apologize. There's a whole story behind it. (laughs) Oh, what's the story behind that? Well, we were named after an album called The Animal Years by Josh Ritter. When we started the band, I, I wanted to name it I wanted to give a tribute to another artist or album that inspired me. I was thinking in, in The Animal Years by Josh Ritter was just an absolute top, top five best albums I've ever heard in my entire life from front to back. And I love the name and I love the artwork. And I was like, let's drop the the and just name the band Animal Years. So we kind of felt like it was weird to do a self titled album called just animal years because there is <laughs> an album called the animal years and so we came up with this whole kind of thing where we're, we split the albums part one and two and the whole album would be called like this is an album called animal years the way that we threw the songs together the way that it came together it all just felt so right to just kind of finally do a, a self-titled thing but we didn't know how to do it because we named ourselves after an album so that was our way of doing it all right so i'm ready for this new album but you have an ep out and a full length the sun will rise and far from home far from home was our label debut so we're going to talk about some songs that are off of those two releases but take me back to where you started writing songs and why did you start writing songs? Sure. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. When I was in middle school, the pop punk scene was very big. Blink-182, Sum 41, you know, I'm 32 years old. So, you know, this is uh, 2000, 2001, TRL, you know, MTV, all those things. And I had a lot of friends who were joining bands, playing music. One of my best friends, his name is Zach Merrick. He's a bass player in a a band called All Time Low, which is a big pop punk band that still is a really successful, amazing, hardworking band today. In Baltimore? They're based in Baltimore, but they're internationally known. They've done everything. They've went on tour with Blink-182 and... You know, they're chart-topping dudes. Um, if it's not your your scene, you would have never heard of them. But if you know, you know, if you're into punk or pop punk rock music, you know all time well, you know. So, I mean, the lead singer of the band is now in another band with Mark Hoppus from Blink-182. Like, they got to that point. And so I was really inspired by all that. I decided to pick up the bass and then eventually picked up a guitar and around when I got into high school, a couple of years after I just, I, you know, after learning a ton of songs, which I think anyone, any guitar player does, you start to just create your own stuff. You start to, you know, first you, um, 
you play G and you play C and then you play D and then you think that you wrote like 3am by Matchbox 20. Like we all, that's what we all start on. And you think that you wrote a new song and then you realize that it was 3am. And then eventually you start writing better stuff. And that's kind of how I got into songwriting. I'd say I wouldn't like, I didn't actually like write a real kind of complete song until probably the end of my high school years. But that's kind of how I, I got into it. And I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely wanted to do it. Was, it was a combination of a lot of things. I think at first, maybe my intentions weren't super pure. I didn't want to like, I wasn't like, I wasn't some kid who was like, I want to create art and do all these things. I was, I was definitely like, this is cool and I want to be a part of it. And I'm seeing these guys doing it and I want to do that too. And I think it evolved from there. But in the very beginning, I was like, yeah, I just want to be in a band. And so that's how it all kind of started, I guess. So you wrote some stuff and the local radio in Baltimore put it on the air. That, yeah. I, a couple of years after I got out of high school, I wrote a song, which was actually on our first record called Heart on Heart, but I hadn't released it as, as Animal Years. It was just under my name because we hadn't formed a band yet and I hadn't moved to New York. But um, I wrote that song and I sent it to them. When I say them, I mean WTMD 89.7, which is like the big public radio AAA station in Baltimore. They love the song and they put it on rotation at the station. Where were you the first time you heard the song and how'd you feel? I don't know the first time, but I will tell you a funny story. There have been two times, two great stories, and I'll, and I'll make them brief. But the first time... I worked at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, the medical school, and I was a, a at the time I was a van driver. I was driving a van full of employees to the parking lot. We did a shuttle from the university to the satellite parking lot where everyone parked at. And um I was listening to the radio station. I wasn't expecting anything and all of a sudden Heart on Heart comes on. A guy that I was like training at the time was in the passenger seat and I turned to him and I was just like Listen, man, I, I don't I don't know you like very well, and you don't even know that I'm a musician. But and you're not gonna believe me, but this is my song on the radio right now. <laughs> and he was this older guy, and he he thought it was really great. And then I think like a month later, I was I was driving Uber as my side job. A lady was you know in the back seat, and the song came on the radio, and I just turned around and I was like. Listen, I because oh this was a different this was a different single actually. I think this would maybe have been Caroline. I turned around and I was just like, I want to let you know I, I haven't heard this song before in the radio and it happens to be mine, so I'm really happy they're playing it. And I just thought I would share it with you. And this is before the band started touring or doing anything like that. And I think she believes me. I'm not entirely sure, but did she give you a five star Uber rating and a, and a decent tip? Do you remember? I think so. I think so. All right. You know, so then it worked. I, you don't know. You don't know. They don't let you. Oh, you don't know. Kind of Uber. I yeah. thought you got the feedback. You don't know. You get feedback, but they don't tell you who the person is. They don't want you like, you know, hunting them down and stalking them at their house. Or I know. I always cut a deal. I'm like, you give me five stars. I give you five stars. I have a 5.0 pickup rating and I don't want to lose that. Like the first thing I say when I get in an Uber is I cut that deal. And no matter how bad the Uber driver is, I'm still going to give them five if they give me five. Listen, I've been, I've been back in that game for a year with the pandemic. I mean, we all, a lot of us. A lot of us weren't living on our royalties. We all had to get back to the uh, the old grind there. And uh, I've been, uh, unfortunately, back in the Uber game. So I I know what you're talking about, man. You know. Well, maybe we'll get a hit record off of this song and get you on tour again full time. You know, I've listened to your music now in preparation for this episode. And I want to hear you guys live. Your songs are so anthemic. I can just feel myself screaming along to the courses and the way they rave up. And let's start with Caroline, because this one has got like three million spins on Spotify. Seven and a half million. Seven and a half, sorry. Seven and a half million spins. Okay, thanks for correcting me. I, I should get my facts right on my show. I, thank you.
That's seven and a half. That's like more than double since yesterday. Yeah, Doug, you were cutting my numbers in half. I had to correct you. I, well, I, I told you I'm really bad at, at the facts, but I'm directionally correct. And I unfortunately look at the Spotify for Artists app too much, which, which tells you everything about your singles. And it's amazing. And it tells you, hey, people listened in Moscow. So I just, I know these things. I know how many. Yeah. So wh- why do you think Caroline resonated with, you know, an audience around the globe, frankly. I think it has that pop folk kind of formula down um, that has been, you know, just people have been listening to for the past 10 years or so. And it has a lot to do with the Spotify algorithm and everything. And I think one person listens to it and saves it. And then another person listens to it and saves it and shares it. And all of a sudden it becomes this thing. And it just is, it's like the minute I wrote it, I, 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 and I sent like a demo to my manager and the band people, you know, you just kind of realize it's like one of those songs that has this undeniably catchy hook. And it just appeals to this like very broad audience. You don't have to like a certain type of music. You can just listen to that song, kind of like it. And yeah, it's just it's just the catchiest song. I wasn't ever concerned with like writing like a any type of like hit or super super catchy song, but that one is just like it's the obvious choice, you know. It just is the chorus and the and you know Ryan the producer really like knocked it out of the park with the big chorus kick drum and and all this stuff that he did, and he produced the Lumineers and Vance Joy. And so he knew what he was doing and he knew how to do it and he made it sound as good as it possibly could. And I think, I think that's just what happened, you know? Yeah. It has that kind of wind up, you know, it starts with you on acoustic guitar and then with sort of these persistent hand claps and then, you know, it just explodes at the chorus in this uplifting, passionate, heartfelt Mike McFadden sound. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. How's that happen? I specifically remember we were in the studio to think it was like late 2016 a place called Applehead in Saugerties, New York, like Woodstock, essentially. It's like farm, this barn that was converted into a studio. It's where the, like the band like had recorded the big pink, you know, right down the street. The cabin that we stayed in was Rick Danko, the guitar player from the band. It was his cat old old cabin he used to live in that's besides the point but it's all just cool stuff that i wanted to say so you're channeling the band and i thought and so even though robbie I'm not- robertson and rick danko and yeah you know, i mean leave on you know leave on helm and on drums and feeling this stuff i think so yeah i remember ryan the producer just adding these claps and and he was adding this he took the kick drum beater and he took it off the off the pedal and he just had our drummer hit the head of the kick drum with it with his hand. I was like, what does that do? Like, what is the difference? And he just looked at me and he was like, it sounds like a party. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that's like, that's why Rick Rubin makes like millions of dollars. You know, it's like, he, I would have never thought of that, but he was absolutely right. Like that chorus the, the 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 verse and the intro are great and everything but it's just a, it's just a basically a kick drum and a guitar but when you get to the chorus it sounds like a party and like it's it's just this fun gang vocal thing the song it's just, it's just like it's a part it's something that everyone can sing along to you know and very easily the first thing is just this big whoa caroline and I'm tripping over my feet. Yeah. I wrote that and I just was like, I was like, where did that come from? I know it sounds like pretentious. It's definitely one of those moments. And I think any songwriter can relate where something is like given to you, you know, you didn't create that on your own. That was there. That appeared out of nowhere and you grabbed it (laughs) and you remembered it. Was there a girl in your life that this was inspired by? Because the protagonist in the song doesn't really 
like have a relationship with Caroline. Right. It wasn't a, a girl named Caroline. I won't say her name, but Caroline worked. The name just worked. And looking back on it, if there if there was another name that would have rhymed better, I would have done it. I, I didn't even think about the fact that there are like a hundred freaking songs named Caroline. Oh, yeah. There's a Neil Diamond song, I understand. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I maybe have heard of that before. Ever been to a Red Sox game? You've heard it. Oh God, I'm from I'm from Baltimore, man. I don't I don't want to talk about the Red Sox. <laughs> they don't play Sweet Caroline at the Orioles games. I don't think so. No, you know what we play because we're way way cooler. We play um, "Thank God I'm a Country Boy," a John Denver song. I have no idea why, but the seventh inning stretch, they play that song. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Like, why has Baltimore adopted, the Orioles adopted that? that I have just, no idea, actually. And you're, I'm like thinking about it for the first time ever right now. But that's what they do. Okay. Maybe they'll start playing Woe Caroline. I, I hope so. So there was a girl that inspired, like, the idea? Yeah. I mean, so basically the song is all about kind of like the touring life as a musician. And essentially I, I had met someone like... Uh, two days before we were about to go on this big tour, we had kind of hit it off. And it was one of these things where it was like, oh, it was literally just like a chance encounter at a place. We hung out once and that was it. But I was like, you know, very, very smitten. And um, I wanted to, to see her again. But I literally like the next day left for like a month and a half. This whole song came about because I was, it was that whole anxiety about, man, you barely know me. I feel like you like me and I like you, but how the hell am I going to, how, how am I going to keep you interested for a month and a half while I'm on the road? And like, we can't really necessarily build, like establish a relationship. And I don't, I don't want to do that. Cause I just think that's so difficult and you don't want a long distance relationship. We don't even know each other. Yeah. It's kind of a fantasy, right? <laughs> You know, it's it's like, you know, want to tell me where you've been? I've been on the road for months, staying up too late, hoping to hear from you again. Yeah, it's kind of like, hey there, Delilah by the Plain White Tees. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something very good came out of that experience, for sure. I really like the tenderness of the video you shot. You know, you have these sort of 15-year-old-ish adolescent boy and girl so funny i think they were both like at least 20 oh get out but they look so young is that just me were you trying to make them look young or did i misread that they were actually 20 and i i don't think so i think maybe the camera makes them look like younger than they are but i but they did they did certainly look young i mean i know the girl in that video is like engaged to be married or maybe she's married i mean i'm glad you liked the video It, it definitely was meant to be like very you know, lighthearted and, and tender and stuff. It's coming of age, you know? It's like that coming of age moment when, like, you're you're smitten by a girl. We were trying to emulate that thing of, like, I can't get to you. But we wanted to do it in, like, a fun way. So, like, he's coming through the, the whatever you call it, that blow-up circus thing that we rented, which was so funny. We had, like, a company come out and blow it up. And, like, yeah, he can't. He can't get to her. And at the very end, they're like across the whole fire thing. But they really never kind of fully get with each other. And it's it's it just kind of goes off of the whole theme of the song. So I would tell you, like two years later, you know, I think there's like eight and a half million people in New York City or whatever. I was like coming out of a studio session and I ran into the guy, the guy who was in that movie, uh, in that music video of ours. And I went and like, I was like, hey, what's up, man? Like, it's really good to see you. And he had no idea who I was. And I had to literally explain it. <laughs> I was like, the Caroline music video, man, you were in it. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> it's just like the funniest <laughs> shit. It was very monumental for you. A little bit, a little commercial in, in his body I of work. I thought it was this crazy coincidence and he didn't even know who I was. <laughs> so have you ever bumped into a Caroline who loved the song and a Caroline who hated it and said, you ruined my life. <laughs> no, well, Caroline for sure loved the song all the time on comments and YouTube and Instagram. Um, you know, my name is Caroline and 
you know, I just love the song, which I can imagine. But none of them, no one ever came up and said, everybody comes up to me and says, whoa, Caroline, I no. can't stand you. You ruined my life. No, it's, it's, you should say it's at least it's better than Sweet Caroline, isn't it? Yeah, this song is not Sweet Caroline. It is not a, it's not a, a song that everyone knows in their house. So they should. They absolutely should. It's a great song. Should, but but um, the blame is on, on Neil Diamond for that. And, you know, the blame is on amazon for alexa and all those different things we hope your song gets to that level of overplay yeah seven million streams on on spotify but 7.5 that's a that's a drop in the bucket these days it's just a bunch of playlists and i'm I'm glad that that people are listening to it but as part of backstory song interviews we put the songbook the mike mcfadden songbook up on our website and you will be able to share this playlist with your friends i'm gonna leave you in the hay street station gonna cry and dry my eyes gonna write a couple songs about you then I'm gonna try and get on my life I'm gonna wake up in the morning and miss you Believe that there's nobody else in this world Gonna sit down and count on my blessings Then I'm gonna try and find a new girl It seems like so many times I wanna go back to where we used to be in Oh, and you told me to take it slow So the next one we're going to talk about is off the new album, I suspect, because I have received a private listen to it. It's not out on Spotify yet, so we don't know the numbers. And it's called Haynes Street Station. Tell me what inspired this. This song is, out of out of all the songs on this um, record, th- this, this new record, this one has received, playing live, has received the most positive feedback. Most notably, like when we were on tour opening for a band called Blues Traveler, they love that song. And the the keyboard player come up to me backstage and be like, the Haines Street song, is that like, um, is that a cover or like, you know, who wrote that? It just has this like impact when we play it live. I think it's because like the whole scenario, there's a Greyhound bus station named on Haines Street in Baltimore, Maryland. It's the Haines Street station. I was like kind of seeing this girl at the time. I remember we had been hanging out for maybe a month or so. And she lived in New York City, but she was doing something in Baltimore. She was acting in a play in Baltimore. That's how we had like gotten to know each other. And when I was dropping her off at the train station, sorry, the bus station, it was a bus station. I was like, you know, we've been talking for a long time. And I'm sure I said it in not the most confusing way possible because I was probably very nervous. But I was like, you know, do you want to take this thing to the next level? Would you like to be in a relationship? I don't I don't think I can just do like casual whatever with you. She couldn't commit to that. And I was like, you know, I really want that. And you don't. I kind of told her, like, I don't think I can be just friends and I don't think I can do what we're doing now. And so I think it's kind of over, you know, I know what I, what I want. And it was a very like rough little departure that we had. I literally dropped her off at that bus station and on the way home was like humming this song. I think, I think my brain was like, this is like a little too difficult to deal with. You have to find some way to like express it immediately. And on the way home, I just started to leave you at the Haines Street Station. Were you crying? I probably was. Yeah, I can't remember specifically, but I mean, I I cried pretty easily. So I would imagine that that was the case. If I said cry, 
cry and then dry my eyes for sure. I, I probably was crying. It was literally like a chain of events that almost all happened in one day. It was leave you at the Haines Street Station. 20 minutes later, cry and then dry my eyes. Two hours later, write a couple songs about you. <laughs> and then, you know, one day later, gonna try and get on with my life. And then the next day is the second part of the chorus. I'm gonna wake up in the morning and miss you. Believe that there's nobody else in this world. I'm gonna sit down and count on my blessings. Then I'm gonna try and find a new girl. I think gonna try and find a new girl is like me getting, you know, back on Tinder or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier these days, I guess. Yeah, sometimes. Than it used to be. But I mean, you know, that's like real songwriting to me. There's not a lot of like hidden meaning, I don't think, in my stuff. No, you're very open-hearted in your music. And that is very much, I think, what the audience embraces. You know, they make this... I can't wait to see you live because I, I can just tell the audience makes this emotional connection with you. And you make an emotional connection with your songs, I think. Mm. And, and you can feel it on the record recordings, but I bet it's just stunning in person. I don't want to toot my own horn. I will say we are a band that loves to play live and there is an insane, insane amount of energy because that's when we bring it all out. I mean, and we, I want you to come see us because at the end of Haines Street, I'm head banging. My, my neck is sore every morning after Haines Street Station. Well, so what I like about that song and why your neck gets sore is it starts off with an acapella line mm -hmm. and then some delicate harmonies. And then in the middle, you bring in this slow, bendy, bluesy guitar. Yeah. And then unlike some of your other songs like Caroline, where the anthemic chorus is in the middle and repeats, this one winds up to the explosion at the end with an organ crescendo signaling it. And then that guitar jam just goes off. Yeah. That was Paul, the producer, Paul Milk. Um, we recorded with him down in Nashville. It's so funny. That was like, Paul was a touring guitar player before he started his studio. He toured for everyone from, um, God, I mean, I, I can't even remember the people that he toured for, but I know that he like literally turned down an offer from Keith Urban to be his touring guitar player to start the studio. So, I mean, this guy was a total, total badass. And the producer... He's the real deal. Yeah, but a guitar player first. And this song, out of every song, he knew, because he played guitar on a lot of the albums. Because I, I don't shred. I write songs, I play chords, I fingerpick, you know. He saved that solo for the very, very end of the recording process. It kept... <laughs> It became a joke. We're like, Paul, when are you going to like track that solo? And I think I'm pretty sure it was like last day of tracking. It was finally like Paul, Paul was ready and he came in and he just wailed on that thing. And we don't have a ton of guitar solos in our, our music. So it was so cool to like watch him do that. And I'm almost positive that I'm pretty sure it was like one take and we stopped and we were like, that's it. Done. You're done. That's it. That's the end. And we were like done with the recording. And I freaking love what he did on that album with guitar and honestly, everything else that he played on that album. On Haines Street Station, the guitar solo, what feeling do you have when you listen to that while you're playing with him? Hmm. I think like a liberation. Hmm. Like um, I made a plan. And I'm taking care of myself and I'm I'm letting myself know that it's going to be okay. And I'm letting myself know that I'm a good guy and that things are going to be okay. And I'm, I'm taking care of it the way that I can. And then, because, you know, I say all these things in the song. I, I say that I'm going to, I say that I'm going to process this by writing songs about you. And then I say that I'm, I'm going to get over you, you know, cause they're like daily. I mean, this song is like affirmations, you know, like it's like the secret, man. You know, you ever read the secret? Yeah. Yeah. I have. 
You know what the you know what the feeling I get Mm-mm. is that someone swiped right on Tinder on you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's a very, you know, it's like, man, I am moving on. I'm going to find a new girl. And so, Oh, she just matched on me. Here it is. Let's go. There she is. It it's like, it's on to the next half minute relationship time. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk about home. Another song. So we only have five songs to pick from on that um that our debut EP record with Ryan Hadlock. Ryan Hadlock did the Lumineers and Vance Joy and Brandy Carlisle and and Animal Years and Animal Years. Yeah, among many others, we just wanted big anthems, and so home for me was my first experience living outside of Baltimore was New York City. My music didn't do very well. Besides that, you know, that initial like kind of radio play that I got in Baltimore, nothing really happened for me there. And I I kind of thought I needed a bigger market. And I moved to New York City. And I gained this following, Animal Years gained this following there. And uh, after a while, you know, of having success in New York, finally, I kind of wrote this song home to kind of, you know, just thank the place where I came from because I thought that like Baltimore was the reason why I wasn't doing well. And I don't think, I don't think that was the case. And, you know, it's like this whole thing, like the chorus is I turned away, but now I never, there's one place my heart's forever. It's basically being like, yeah, I moved here and I did my thing here and I love New York for this reason and yes, I experienced success here, but it doesn't matter. There will never be a place like the place that I came from, regardless if like only some nights in Baltimore, I would like, you know, play for two or three people. That place made me the person that wrote the songs. And New York is just the place where I played the songs and people came to the shows. I mean, everything that I write is like a product of where I'm from in one way or another. So it's just a dedication. And I wanted to make it very, I didn't call it Baltimore. I didn't talk about, I wanted, I wanted everyone to be able to, to use this song and, and apply it to their situation because there are so many transplants all over the world. They can use that song too. And kind of be like, yeah, feel a little good about being like, yeah, I moved but I still love my hometown more than anything. Just because I moved doesn't mean I don't love it there. And I think people have guilt because they leave their families and all these different things. So it was really important for me to just write a song like that. So it's about Baltimore, but we're not going to tell everybody it's about Baltimore because it's about (laughs) New York when you're in New York and everybody has a home and it's non-specific. It's by design, which I like. What I really like is the harmonies on this. And you got some pretty good supporting cast in your band on this song. Well, I will give credit to, uh, well, first I'll give credit to my guys. They are the band, Anthony Saldino and Anthony Spinato. Saldino is the bass player. Spinato is the drummer. And they make the most incredible harmony group. It just works out so well. Spinato 
has a higher voice. I mean, the guy went to music school. He knows more about music than any of us. And he's sung opera and he can just, he can sing higher than me. And he just makes this perfect higher harmony guy. Saldino is just like a low register guy who can sing. He's got the most boring harmony parts, but it's so important that he's a part of it. Like he's, you need his part in there and he does it so well. It's just this perfect blend of voices that I, I I can't even imagine how we ended up getting together. Any harmony that you've heard in any song was probably created by Anthony Spinato, who's you know is the drummer. With his music theory background, his biggest strength in the studio is just doing harmonies. Every album we've ever recorded, when it comes down to harmonies, he's right there, and he is like writing these harmonies as we're recording and he's writing them all for me because I end up singing them on the album. It's crazy because I don't have that ability. I like I can write the songs, but I can't do the whole music theory harmony things. The guys, they help us sound so good live. And then we have this secret weapon, Spinata who writes the harmonies for us. So it's freaking awesome. And I love it. And we get compliments all the time on our harmonies. And I think that's really important because sounding good live is really important and these guys they always show up ready to go and so this has an anthemic chorus you know i hadn't made the blink 182 connection you know which is sort of the kings of anthemic choruses right what song that you play live gets the anthemic participation from the audience the most probably let go of your head which is off sun will rise because it's just literally the go ahead now, go ahead now, go ahead now. I mean that Friends is more popular, but it's a whole it's a whole bunch of words, you know. I like this song home because it's got this earnest, open-hearted, emotionally direct feel to it. Is there a banjo on this at the end there? Yeah, it's throughout the whole song, but it's it's very subtle. It's a banjitar. A banjitar. Yeah. I play five string banjo, but I don't, you know, I never really took the time to uh learn how to how to play it. And but I finger pick guitar. And so what I did was I took a banjitar, which is a it's a six string guitar, but it's it's a banjo. It's tuned like a banjo. So it sounds like a banjo. I tune it to like an an open tuning. I just finger pick the banjo or the banjitar throughout that entire song and a lot of our songs, at least on the, on that EP with home. Wow. Okay. That's kind of cool sound. I was singing on the road many years ago. I was on my own so far from home. And there were days when I felt like I could not win. When I lost it all And I needed a friend Whoa Whoa So you mentioned Friends as a chorus that people love. I can totally get it with the explosive harmonies of the chorus. What's this song about? 
I think after living in New York a number of years and being away, really being away from Baltimore for the first time, I was having this this fantasy, you know, or or maybe we were getting together, maybe some friends were in New York or or maybe we were having a phone call with a bunch of old buddies or maybe even going home for the holidays and getting together with a bunch of guys that you grew up with. It was this whole thing of like, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you get together with your friends, you bring back these old memories, you have this camaraderie and this great time where you forget about everything that's going on in your life. And you just talk about what it was when you were kids, when you didn't have a care in the world and how fun it was and how stupid you were and the mistakes you made. I mean, God, we, I mean, I got thrown in the back of, of a cop car when I was 16 because I was at a party, you know, drinking and doing stupid stuff and like just having that, having that, just pretending for a second, like you're back in that place and kind of forgetting everything. And so that's certainly like reflected in Anthony's music video, our, our bass player, Anthony, who directed the music video for Friends. And it was like that whole theme. Let's go back and just be a bunch of kids. And, the, you know, the kids are dancing in the woods and all that stuff. And Friends is just like an escape. It's an escape where you go back and just be with your old friends and have a good time and remember all the good times you had when you were younger. Did you party in the woods in Baltimore? Mm-hmm. Did I party in the? I mean, there are definitely some field parties going on. Absolutely. Okay, it's field party because I did. Whenever I think of the woods of Baltimore, all I can imagine is the woods of that homicide uh, podcast serial, Lincoln Park. <laughs> Lincoln Park. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't those woods. It wasn't those woods. Okay. Yeah. Believe. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny you mentioned that. No, these are more like country woods. You know. Got it. Further out in the burbs a little more. Because once you get out of the city, it gets really country, like horse country pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. yeah. An interesting little little area. And this is one of your more popular songs live? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, a, a, lot, a lot of people really relate to this song. And it's it's by far our most popular music video. I would Suggest everyone go watch it because we hired these five amazing kids between the ages of 11 and 13. And they're insane dancers. And we got a choreographer and they're... Have you seen the music video, Doug? I didn't watch this one. I, I, okay. I'm sorry. So, but, no, no, it's I, all I'm good. I'm going to go look at it. I'm telling you, the one thing I tell everyone, it's going to put a smile on your face. Like these kids... Is it the same ones from the Baltimore Step movie? No, no, no. These kids are no. That's these kids are from Canada. They still know how to dance. Oh huh? yeah, absolutely. The step dancers in Baltimore are amazing. They are. I've seen them perform live. Oh yeah, yeah they're incredible. It's four kids from. We hooked up with a, a choreographer in Canada. Then we shot it in upstate New York, and these kids are unbelievable dancers. And you'll you'll see. I would just I would just. You know, invite everyone to go look up the the music video for Friends by Animal Years. And it was Anthony's, our bass player's, directorial debut, if you can believe that. He never directed anything his entire life, and this was his first thing. And now he directs all of our stuff. So it was incredible. I can imagine this is a song where people buy shots and toast and, you know, the bar tab goes up. I was recently, um, a friend of mine was like sending me, because I'm not on TikTok, but she was sending me TikToks that people have made to friends. And it's just like, they're all like compilations of people that are like hanging out with their friends in different scenarios. And they're like minute long videos, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were playing. And most of them, I bet they end in a, in a toast or a shot, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of that. I bet. Yeah. That is how people relate to this song, which makes sense. Here's to you, my friends. <laughs> you know, that's a good one. When I've been so lost in the world that I used to know, and I've been too. They try to tell me I lost 
Last song we're going to talk about, What I'm Fighting For. Yeah. What are you fighting for, Mike McFadden? Well, I, I mean, I wrote this song before I even moved to Nashville in 2019. And it is just one of those things with a lot of my songs where it's a general theme because I really do love songs that everyone can get behind. I mean, I like some country songs, but you know, they're so specific. And there's so many songs that are so specific. Oh, I love songs that people can really just get behind a general theme. And for me, this song was it when I was talking about, I mean, at the time when I wrote it, I think I was struggling because I think the band, you know, the, maybe the band was at a standstill and we weren't sure what was happening. And to be honest, I don't even know like what was happening then, but so many things have, have happened since I wrote that song. I mean, do you want to know what I'm fighting for now? Do you know what I'm fighting for three years ago? Like, I mean... I want to know both. Yeah, I mean, then when I was writing the song, I think I was telling myself that I have to keep going as a songwriter. I think I was like, man, you know, I've had my ups and I've had my downs. I've been on tour. I signed a record deal. Eventually I got dropped from that record deal. I've done all these things and and yet I'm still out here like working a side hustle. I think the song was really important this summer during the pandemic. You know, first there was, and this it wasn't out yet, obviously, but there was a tornado that hit Nashville and me and Anthony were involved in helping two families get back on their feet. And for three weeks we were doing like cleanup and fundraising and all that stuff. And then eventually we, joined the Black Lives Matter movement. And for a couple months, we were involved in a 62-day sit-in at the Tennessee Capitol. Anthony got arrested three times. I got arrested twice for peaceful protesting. And I think that song was very important. It can be applied for what we were doing then. And I think with the country maybe getting back on its feet right now, I think that song could absolutely apply at this point in our lives as well. And that's why I love this song. It's just, it's taken on a million different reasons. There's a lot of things to be fighting for always in life. And it honestly, it's whatever you're fighting for. It doesn't have to be my, uh, my political leanings or whatever you would like to call it. I would call them human issues, human rights issues, but it's an important song. And I think people are really relating to it. And I, and I, I love that. I love hearing that. We all have a cause. Yep. Or we should. If you don't have one, you should find one. Yeah. And fight for it. And this can be your anthem. Absolutely. I like the droning guitar in this one. It's a slightly different style guitar than some of the other songs. Yeah. For any guitar players out there, it's a standard tune. It's a whole step down. A whole step down. So the guitar is just like low. And I'm playing a G-shape chord, like an open G chord. And um, just like strumming on that. And so it is just like, it's just got that kind of heavy droning. All I'm doing is just literally strumming on this chord and like moving one finger. And it gives it that whole kind of basis, you know, that bass layer throughout the whole song. That's what's droning on throughout that whole thing. That's really cool. Yeah. I think that's helpful to listeners. (laughs) If you want to learn how to play a song, hit me up. It's cool to... um, I'll go on Instagram or whatever and find people that have learned songs on their own and they're playing in a completely different way, but it works. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know I could, you could do it like that. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, June 18th is the new album coming out. What else do we want to plug? Um, <clears throat> follow Animal Years Music on Instagram. That's Animal Years Music. Follow us on Facebook. Just look up Animal Years. We put out um, a single, What I'm Fighting For, on Friday, which was, what's today? Tuesday. <laughs> I was looking for the, <laughs> it came out on Friday, the 22nd. It's out. We're putting out an EP. We're going to put out another EP, and then we're going to put out a full-length album. You got a lot of music in the can. We do. We do. We were hoping to be touring and promoting this stuff, but that was impossible, and we just weren't willing to wait. So we're putting it out now. We encourage everyone to go buy it on iTunes or wherever they buy music. Stream it, share it with your friends. We released a music video for Talking to You, which was our first single off this new album. And Anthony, our bass player, directed that as well. So go look at that, because that's a lot of fun. Cool. And that's up on Facebook page, right? You can click through on the link. Facebook, YouTube. Yep. Yep. If I were to see you in any club in Brooklyn, I guess in Brooklyn, what would be the best venue that I could catch Animal Years? It's a good question. We played a lot of them and there are definitely a lot of bigger venues. We got our start at Rockwood Music Hall. Do you know Rockwood? I do. Rockwood Stage 2 is where you see Animal Years, which we, after being a band for about a year, we sold that out and we went and moved on bigger stages, you know, Bowery Ballroom, Music Hall, Williamsburg, Gramercy Theater. But the Rockwood shows are crazy. Come to Rockwood. <laughs> I would like to be with all of my friends at the Rockwood and see you. That'll happen soon. Well, maybe we'll get you out to Park City to have you play the, the Park City Songwriter Festival. I got to thank you, Mike McFadden from Animal Years. Thank you, DJ Wyatt Schmidt. And thank you, my social media director, MC Owens. Thank you, Andrea Guthrie, one of my favorite fans. Uh, thank you for liking our stuff on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and Pinterest, and all the social media. Please spread these song lists if you like this episode. Play, spread the song list so our artists can get paid. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Wyatt. Thank you, Andrea. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.